Well, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we're going to be at verse 21 today, and we're going to be going through uh, several verses, about nine or so, a couple different sections that we're touching on. The title of this message is Motives of the Heart, and we're going to be looking at two very specific things, one being murder and the other one being adultery. Any murderers out there? Okay. Well, by the end of my message, there might be some more hands. You'll just have to see what Jesus has to say. Any adulterers out there? Oh, man, off to a great start. You know, I'll just stop the message then, and you guys are good to go. Well, listen, Jesus has a few things to say about those two things, and there's things that are going on in your heart that reveal you might actually be a murderer. You might actually be an adulterer. What a warm and fuzzy way to start this message, right? Well, let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing. We're getting into his words right now. Father, we thank you for this time that we're going to spend here in Matthew 5. Lord, these are words that are very serious. And Lord, in the midst of that, I pray right now your spirit would come and help us to see areas in our life that you want to minister to. And so, Lord, this, this time, we're, we're a bunch of murderers and adulterers gathered around your word seeking your grace. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right now, you're like, what'd you, what'd you call me? You'll see why I'm saying that. So this is words of Jesus here, starting in verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye... Even your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Those are just some really strong words by Jesus. Strong words. How many of you have verse 30 hanging in your living room? That's intense. And so earlier I, I, I kind of said, how many of you are murderers? How many of you are adulterers? You see things now through the lens of what Christ is explaining. If you have hatred in your heart, you're a murderer. If you lust after someone, you're an adulterer. And I want to start addressing some of these things because I don't want to just leave us in this sense of I'm guilty. Where do we go? Where do we go from there? So I want to start by addressing anger. Okay? First off, I do want to say there is such a thing as righteous indignation. To be angry at sin. Even Jesus was angry at sin when he walked into the temple and he saw all these uh, people selling things that uh, it's like a convenience store. Before you come in to make your sacrifices, you can buy your sacrifice in the lobby and we'll charge you, you know, as we're doing it. We're making money. And for him, he hated that. And so what's he do? He comes in and he, he's flipping tables over and he's, he grabs a whip and he starts cracking the whip. That seems like anger, So there is such a thing as righteous indignation, and I think there's times in our life where we can be so angry at sin and the one who caused sin, and ultimately that is Satan and his army, and we live in this sin-cursed world, and and you think of loved ones that are in your life, and when they sin and the fallout that takes place, and you're so angry, and I know part of that is there might be anger at the person, but we're angry at sin. It's good to get angry at sin. We don't want sin in our life. But there's also a balance when it comes to anger. If you walk out of here and say, Pastor Russ says it's okay for me to be angry, then you just listen to the first portion. There's more. Ephesians 4, 26, this is the Amplified Translation. It says, be angry, and then they put in this section, be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, and at ungodly behavior. So there's permission to be angry at the things that God would be angry with. We hate the sin. We hate the curse of sin. So that verse says be angry, but then there's this little warning because there's kind of a gray area where we can begin to step into our flesh with our anger. Anybody ever acted out in flesh because you were angry? Okay, two people. Well, three, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. It says, be angry, yet do not sin. That's a warning for us. Do not let your anger last until the sun goes down. And another thing is, do not let your anger, so this is where the Amplified Translation adds the causing you shame. Don't let your anger cause you shame. In James 1, verse 20, it says that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
And so we are being warned. Be angry about the right things. Angry about sin. Angry about how sin affects us and the ones we love and the world around us. It's interesting here that as we see Jesus drawing this out, he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, right? But I'm telling you, if you have hatred in your heart, you are committing murder. That's a heavy thing. Hatred. Hatred. In Genesis 4, there are two brothers by the name of Cain and Abel. You ever heard of them? Right? And they're supposed to bring their sacrifices to the Lord. And one of them had a more acceptable sacrifice. Cain's was not acceptable. And he got angry. In fact, in Genesis 4, verse 6, he's so angry, the Lord calls out to him. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? The Lord says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and its desires to have you, but you must rule over that. So there's a warning there. But as that sin is crouching at Cain's door and that anger is brewing in him, what does he do? He kills his brother. He murders him. And at one point, God says his blood is crying out from the ground. Where did that start? I mean, Cain didn't just wake up and, you know, on a whim, I'm just going to kill my brother. There's all kinds of things that are going on right here in his heart. He was angry at God, and he was angry at Abel. And those things led him to the action of murdering. Proverbs 29 verse 22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Perhaps you've heard of this, but anger is one letter away from the word danger. One letter away from danger. I like how the life application breaks some of this down. Anger is a dangerous emotion that always threatens to leap out of control, leading to violence, emotional hurt, increased mental stress, and spiritual damage. Anger keeps us from developing a spirit to please God. So there's this question in the Life Application Bible. Have you ever been proud that you didn't strike out and say whatever was on your mind? Anybody with me on that? Right, oh, wow, self-control. I mean, I had some things I was thinking about that I could have said, but I refrained. Well, then the Life Application says this. Well, self-control is good, but Christ wants us to practice thought control as well. So just because you didn't say anything doesn't mean you didn't murder them in your heart. Man, how many murderers are in here today? Okay, a little more show of hands. We see where Jesus is going with this. The life application says we're hypocrites if we claim to love God while hating other people. Our attitude towards others reflects 
our relationship with God. Because you, you think about this. The gospel is that while we were in opposition to God, in fact, while we were enemies of God, God in his love reached down to us and brought us reconciliation. And so for those who receive that gift that comes through Jesus and his grace, we receive that, but yet we're not willing to reciprocate that? That sounds like a hypocrite. So Jesus is very serious in regards to hate. And I think an application question for all of us here today, is there anybody in your life where there is hatred and you need to work through that with the Lord? Let the Spirit of God touch that area. It's a very serious thing. If you don't deal with that, what happens is you'll begin to grow a root of bitterness. And that'll continue to just cause you to spiral spiritually. So you need to deal with that. As it goes on in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, you see some things here that the Lord is addressing when it comes to worship. If you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar and then you remember that someone has something against you, it says, leave your sacrifice at the altar and then go and be reconciled with that person. And that means that if I'm offended by someone, maybe I have a responsibility to go make it right. But what this is really saying is that if I've offended someone and I'm aware of that, I have a responsibility to go and make that right. So another application question would be, is there anyone that you need to seek out and walk through the process of reconciliation? You know, Tony Evans says, in order to have a healthy vertical relationship with God, that'd be intimacy and fellowship with your creator, you must maintain your horizontal relationships. Making peace with your adversaries in as much as it depends upon you. You know, your horizontal relationships will impact your vertical relationship. In fact, Jesus, at the close of the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you forgive anyone of their sins against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But then he says, but if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. And that forgiveness is, he, he won't let go of that strain. If you're not willing to let go of whatever it is that's happened to you, you're going to suffer in your relationship with God. And I know that might not seem fair. It's like, but God, if only you knew what what they did to me. And you think God's like, yeah, I know. And if there's anyone that knows what it's like to be mistreated and misunderstood, tortured, Don't you think Christ understands what it is you're going through? And what did he do? He forgave. He forgave. There's also some earthly consequences to not settling matters. Matthew 25, or excuse me, 5, 25 through 26. says when you're on your way to the court with your adversary, settle those differences. Like don't let it get to that. Figure out a way to make it right. John MacArthur says it's better to be wrong 
than to allow a dispute between brethren to be a cause for dishonoring Christ. That's kind of tough to swallow. Because when we've been wronged, we want, we, we want revenge or, or we want to be justified. Or we, he says that it's better to be wronged than to allow a dispute between brethren to be a cause for dishonoring Christ. So we do what we can to seek restoration, reconciliation. We're going to shift gears here to the second part. This one is it's one that I think causes a lot of people to feel awkward. And I think a large part of that is because when it comes to sexual sin, you're so vulnerable when it comes to that particular area of your life. And God has created a gift. That gift is sexuality. But it's become so distorted anymore in the world in which we live. Jesus says, you've heard the command that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We live in a culture where this kind of stuff is rampant everywhere. You can't even read an article anymore on the internet without some sort of side ad popping up. and But our culture is drawn to that. There's money in that. Why else would that be there? Another thing I read was that the way you present yourself can be just as sinful as the lusting. We live in a culture that dresses quite provocatively and showing way more than needs to be shown. And thinking, well, it's the man's problem for looking. But there's also a responsibility to make sure that we're dressing appropriately. The Bible says your beauty is what's within. There's really two choices when it comes on the topic of lust. You can either leave or you can linger. You can leave or you can... Linger. How many of you remember the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis? Okay. And he has gone through some things, been to prison, he's brought up into the ranks, he's going to serve Potiphar, and Potiphar has a wife, and she is drawn to Joseph. I mean, you talk about provocative. She was making her moves on this man, and Joseph when he was sort of in this situation where she was making these moves, anybody know what he did? He ran. Get me out of here. I I can't be a part of this. This isn't what God would want. He took off. And then he got falsely accused. I mean, he did the right thing, and then he got falsely accused. Think of that. But we must do the right thing, and we can take Joseph's lead. Flee from sexual immorality. Run, another translation would say. Or you can linger. 
You know, I remember being at a Promise Keepers event and there was a speaker talking about sexual immorality and he said when he grew up there was someone that discipled him that said like you get like three to five seconds to look and then you got to look away and as he got older he's like that's garbage that doesn't fit with the leave it sounds like we're lingering with this and there's a king by the name of David who chose to linger He was out on the porch and on his rooftop, he looks over the city and he sees this gal bathing and he's very drawn by her beauty. She's married and so is he. That didn't stop him. He's lingering and then he asks for his officials to go and get that woman and to bring her to his place. Perhaps you've never heard that story before, but here is this king that loves the Lord. He's serving the Lord. But I'm going to tell you this right now. The reason why that happened is that David was not where he was supposed to be. The Bible actually starts out that section by saying, when kings are normally out at war, David was back home. He was not out with his army. And so one thing to glean from that is don't put yourself in situations where you can stumble. But David is where he's not supposed to be, and while he's out looking over his kingdom, he sees this woman that is beautiful, and he lingers. You know... I've heard it said that guardrails are set up not right down where the danger is, but actually up where it's much safer. And so we, we set guardrails in our life so that we don't go down these paths. Like a godly man like David messes up, commits adultery. You know, that led to actually murdering her husband. And now he has blood on his hands. Well, the seriousness of all of that, not only are there consequences here on this earth, but there's also consequences when it comes to eternity. And Jesus knows that he wants people to spend eternity with him. And he he says... It's better for you to lose your eye or your hand than to lose your life to hell. And when you read that, you think, whoa. And throughout history, there have been people who have mutilated themselves in an effort to be pure. And I don't think we're looking at this literally. I think this is something figuratively that Jesus is pointing out. It's not self-mutilation. Rather, this is self-denial and self-control. And the amputation that takes place in our life is a cutting away of what's going on in us. 
It's a sanctification process where we learn, I don't want to be doing things that would dishonor God and would lead me down this path of destruction. And so, Holy Spirit, guard my eyes. Guide my eyes. We cut away of these things out of our thought life, giving things up that we might find to be value, but valuable, but they're causing us to sin. And if that sin goes unchecked, it will destroy us. You know, Jesus said that the people who are caught up in this, their whole body will be thrown into hell. And right outside the city, there's this place called Gehenna, and it's basically a big old garbage dump that would smolder all the time. And they would actually take criminals out to that dump where, where there are dead bodies, and they just throw them, throw them into the dump. And so you can imagine, as Jesus is saying that, just picture if you're like, oh, the dump, where there's smoldering garbage and bodies of criminals. So with that in mind, you think, okay, am I guilty? Am I a murderer? Am I an adulterer? Look, the Holy Spirit knows this. I'm not going to ask for show of hands anymore. Are there things that you need to settle with the Lord? I talked about David and his mistakes. I think it's important now to shift gears and really emphasize the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you do not leave us in our sin. When David had committed these sins, there was a man of God named Nathan that came to him to confront him. And as he confronted him, David felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he cries out to God in Psalm 51. Would you go to Psalm 51? Our topics today have been very pinpointed on anger and hatred in our heart, as well as lust, adultery in our heart. And with those two things in mind, if right now you're going, I, I have some confession that I need to do, need to get with the Lord, I want you to see how David responded when he realized that he had sinned against God. Psalm 51, verse 1. This is step one to receiving God's forgiveness. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed 
rejoice. David's feeling the conviction from God. And let me tell you something right now. When you are stuck in sin and you continue to walk in it, that weight that God brings upon you, that is a very holy and sacred thing because it's going to cause you to get right with God. It's going to cause you to bring that before the Lord. Do not carry that weight. Bring it to the Lord. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He is confessing. He is in repentance right here. You see his response. Lord, I need you, and I need your mercy. And until you do that, I want to point out something here in verse 13. It's going to be very difficult for you to be effective in your calling that God has on your life. Because for David, after he walks through that confession and repentance, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. But at this point, until you do that, you're disqualified in some ways. You've got to work in this area. You've got to come to the Lord. Otherwise, you will walk in tension in your calling. It says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not make, take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteousness, or the righteous, and the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Sincere repentance is the way back. Sincere repentance is the way back. Listen, I know we're all murderers. I know we're all adulterers. Some of you didn't raise your hand, but you're also now a liar. And um, I want to just tell you, there's good news. Because of what Christ has done for me, I'm covered by his blood. That is not a license to go and just do whatever I want. I'm covered by his blood. And when there's things in my life that are not holy, I need to go to him. Otherwise, my relationship with him is going to be strained. You're covered by the blood, but don't let your relationship be strained by these things discussed today. It's possible there's someone listening right now and you say, covered by the blood. What do, you, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is you come to the Lord and you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And the only way you can receive the salvation from your sin and, and the consequences of sin is to come to Jesus who paid the penalty and the price for your sin. 
Have you received Christ in your life? Have you received his grace? Have you received his forgiveness? Come to Christ, the one who forgives. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time. These are some heavy words. In a lot of ways, they can be very difficult to apply. But there's life that is found in these words. We want to live as people that have healthy relationships. We're not walking around with a root of bitterness or being anger, angry all the time or fits of rage. We also want to be people of purity in the area of the things we take in. But Lord, you would help us as people, your people, to be pure when it comes to our sexuality. And Lord, I know with a message like this, it's not my goal here to, to try to beat somebody over the head or, or make people feel guilty, but I do think we need to look at your words and what they say. They're very serious. And we do fall short. And Lord, knowing that, what do we do? We come to you, the one who gives us grace in our time of need. So Lord, if there's anyone right now, there's, there's things that the Holy Spirit is revealing. I pray that they would bring them to you and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, please help me. I want to be pure. Lord, if there's someone listening right now that desires this relationship with you where their sin is forgiven, the grace is extended, I pray, Father, that you would call them right now into a relationship with you. If you desire to receive Christ right now, I encourage you to pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Today I confess that I need you, and I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sin. Would you please transform my life? Would you help me to walk in the new relationship with you? Not letting my past weigh me down, but walking in the calling that you have for my life. Thank you for this gift of salvation that I receive today by grace through faith in Christ. And Lord, it is my heart right now, just as a pastor, that as that message came from me today, there's an element of heaviness to this, but Lord, it's a serious thing. And I pray that as a congregation, all of us would walk in the ways in which you desire. Not having hatred for people, but having love for people, even when they're in opposition to us. Even when they're hard to love. And also, Lord, to be a congregation that walks in purity. There's so much garbage and filth in our culture. Things that are completely evil and, and dark. 
Let us not become casual about it. Let us not get acclimated to these things. Lord, I pray that these things would prick our hearts and say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want this in my life. By your grace, Lord, help us to live pure in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.